We turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and begin reading at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, these are words that You have given to us by the inspiration of Your Spirit. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that You would guide us into Your truth. We believe that Your Word is everlasting truth. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, when the gold rush was going on in California, there was a few uh, men that had found a good uh, supply of gold. And they had to go back to town and get some supplies. But they made an agreement that they would not tell anyone what they'd found. And so they went back to town and they gathered supplies and they went back out to the place where they found the gold. And lo and behold, there was a group of people that followed them right out to the spot. And so who told them? They're wondering which one of us spilled the beans, who who shared what was out there. None of them had said a word. And so they asked him, how did you know that we had found gold? And they said it was written all over your faces. They could not hide the fact that they had found gold. If you know Jesus, I suppose we could say it should be written on our faces, but it should be seen in in many more ways than that. If we know Jesus, it ought to be seen in our actions, it ought to be seen in our attitudes. 
It ought to be seen in our reactions. It ought to be seen in what we say and what we do. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. As Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he is thanking God for them for three reasons. First of all, he says, we thank God because we know that the Lord has chosen you. We know that the Lord has chosen you. The Apostle Paul spent a very short time in the city of Thessalonica. And yet God did some wonderful things in that city in probably about two or three weeks, what we can figure out from the book of Acts. And he knew that God had chosen them because it was so evident in their lives. Look at verse 2. He said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Now, Paul did not know that they had been chosen of God because he could see into their hearts or because God had somehow revealed that to him. He could see that they had been chosen of God because of what was evident in their lives. Richard Lenski says, These writers have no access to the throne room of God, nor a special revelation about certain persons which show them that these are God's elect. The writers have what we all have, the plain evidence of faith, love, and hope. Where this is found, Lenski says, we know that we see God's elect. Now notice there are three phrases that Paul uses here to describe what he saw in the lives of the Thessalonians. The first is the, the work of faith. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Now, we need to understand what that phrase means. He is not saying that, that faith is some kind of work that we perform. That is not what Paul is saying. A scripture is very clear, isn't it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. So faith has always been and always will be a gift of God. But a genuine, living, saving faith in Jesus will always be seen in good works. Ephesians 2.10, verses right after that. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So if you have a living relationship with Jesus, it is going to be seen in your life. The NIV puts it this way, the work 
produced by faith. And I think that's a good way to understand that a faith is not a work that we produce, but faith results in a changed life. There was a little girl that came home from Sunday school one day and she told her little brother, she said, Jesus is in my heart. And the little brother said, let me see. <laughs> let me see. And that's the question people are, let me see. If Jesus is dwelling in you, it will be seen, won't it? That's what Paul says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, evident in your life. And then the second phrase he uses is the, is the phrase labor of love. And again, we would not understand this to mean that, that love is something that we labor to produce. We understand it very similar to the work of faith. It is a labor that comes from love. It is a fruit of love. It is fueled by love. And it is an evidence of God's work in our lives, isn't it? 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. It says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So love is an evidence of the work of God in our lives. And John says, he who does not love abides in death. Does not have a living relationship with Jesus. And this kind of, of labor of love must be prompted by love because the word translated labor here is a very strong word. It carries the idea of, of toiling to the point of exhaustion. It's the Greek word kopion. Do we have any HCA boys soccer players here this morning? If you watch them in the hallway, sometimes you'll see on their shirt kopion. Right, girls? You've seen that? You're not looking at boys, huh? That's good. You're obeying your dad. That's right. Good, good girls. Kopion. I saw that in the hallway a few weeks ago, and I asked the kid kid, student. I said, do you know what that means? He said, yes, I do. He says, it means to strive to the point of exhaustion. I said, absolutely. That's exactly what that word means. Labor of love. Unlike the word work, which focuses on the deed itself, the word labor looks at the effort expended in offering, or excuse me, in accomplishing a particular deed. It is an effort that strains with all its energies to the maximum level. And that flows from love. When God plants His love within us, it is seen in our lives. Your work of faith, Paul says, your labor of love. And then he says, your steadfastness of hope. Or your endurance of hope. This is kind of an interesting word, the word steadfastness. It means literally to remain under. And it pictures that there was some kind of, of, of pressure that was being placed upon the, the Thessalonian believers. And their steadfastness was remaining under that. When it would have been easy for them to say, you know what, I'm out of here. 
I didn't think following Jesus was going to mean this. I'm checking out. There was a steadfastness, and it was produced by the hope they had in Jesus. Notice what he says, bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Now, when you see the word hope in the New Testament, don't get the idea that it's, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and I'm just, oh, I hope it happens. You know, like I I hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl. It may happen, but it's not certain. The hope in the New Testament is a certain thing. There's no doubt about it. There's no question about it. And the hope that he's talking about here is the hope of Jesus' return. His second coming. And the Thessalonians believed that Jesus was going to come again, and it gave them endurance in the midst of their suffering. They knew that in the end, it would be worth it all. That's what the hymn writer says, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus... Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. What's the encouragement then? So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Bill Crowder, writing in Our Daily Bread, said, I love watching soccer. don't quite understand that. but And I'm a fan of the Liverpool football club in England's Premier League. He says, when the Reds are playing, it is an anxiety-filled experience for me because one goal or misplay can change the game's outcome. Isn't that true? And he says, I feel a constant tension as I watch. But he says, this is part of what makes the game enjoyable. Got kind of a warped sense of joy, doesn't he? Then he says, recently, though, I saw a tape-delayed replay of one of the games. And he says, I was surprised how much calmer I felt during the replay. Why, he asks? Because I already knew the outcome. Isn't that interesting? When, you, when you're watching a game and you want that team to win and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, it's stressful, isn't it, Justin? Is it stressful? I've heard of some people have to change their shirts at halftime because they get so nervous during the game. It is stressful. But if you're watching a game on tape delay and you know the end result, it's a little less stressful, isn't it? It's like, I know what the result is be. I know who's going to win. I can watch this in great joy. One man said, he said, I read the end of the book, the Bible, and we win. (laughs) We win. And when you think of that, that is our hope. When Jesus comes again, we win. (laughs) And that's what gives us endurance. So what does Paul say? He says, we thank God because we know that God has chosen you. The second thing he says, we thank God because you know 
Not only do we know, but you know that the gospel has saved you. You see, if it was clear to Paul that the Thessalonians had been chosen by God, it was equally clear to the Thessalonians. They were saved and they knew it. They had the assurance of their salvation. Look at verse 4. He says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Why? For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your sake. Notice that the, the, the gospel came to them not in word only. Not in word only. You know, the Thessalonians, no doubt, had heard the different philosophies of the day, like Epicureanism or Stoicism, but they were just empty words. Just empty words, and those words did nothing. For them. But when Paul came to preach the gospel, it wasn't just words. The gospel came to them, Paul says, in power and in the Holy Spirit because the gospel is what? The power of God for salvation. And every time the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is present. And those who believe are given the assurance of their salvation. The gospel comes with full conviction to those who believe. Here's what Lenski says. The word power has no connection with the miracles wrought in Thessalonica. Nor does it refer to the powerful way in which Paul preached. It is the power mentioned in Romans 1.16, the power of grace unto salvation. Full conviction is not the fullness of spiritual life bestowed on the Thessalonians, not the fullness and the completeness of Paul's instruction. In fact, not fullness of any kind. It is the assurance or confidence produced by the Spirit's power of grace in the hearts of the Thessalonians through the gospel. So not only did Paul know that the Thessalonians were saved, they knew it too. (laughs) Through the gospel, the Holy Spirit had given them the conviction or assurance that they belonged to the family of God. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you have the assurance of salvation? Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you have that conviction settled in your heart today that you belong to Jesus and that Jesus belongs to you? If you don't know, you can know. And you will know when you put your trust in Jesus. What does 1 John 5.13 say? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might hope, that you might wonder, that you might think, (laughs) 
that you might know that you have present possession, eternal life. How many people you ask if they know they're going to heaven? Well, they say, well, I, I hope so. Or, well, I think so. You know, I'm working on it. Really? The work's been done. Jesus did it, right? The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can know that we have eternal life. Some will say, well, you'll never really know until you die. Well, God's Word says you can know. Aren't you glad you can know? You can walk out of this room today with the knowledge that if your life were to end this week, you would be ushered into the presence of Jesus. Is that pride? No. That is standing on the promise of God's Word. Praise God for that. Most makes a lot of Lutherans say amen, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a few of you. So what does Paul say? We thank God because we know the Lord has chosen you. We thank God because you know that the gospel has saved you. And then thirdly, he says, we thank God because others know that the word has transformed you. Others knew it too. When Paul and Silas proclaimed the word of God in Thessalonica, it created quite an uproar. There was a riot that took place in that city, if you read in Acts chapter 17. And you'd think that this would have discouraged the Thessalonians from responding to the message. But Paul says in verse 6 that they received the word in much tribulation. And notice this, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Tribulation and joy. Those two words just don't seem to fit together, do they? And yet that's what Paul says. In the midst of the tribulation that you receive there, you receive the joy of the Holy Spirit. Which means that this was a supernatural joy. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of of the Spirit is love, joy, huh? Joy. Do people know that you love Jesus because you are a person of joy? Is it flowing out of your life a joy that, that God gives even in the midst of tribulation here, persecution they faced? You don't want to go around looking like you were baptized in vinegar, huh? Just a sour, sour person. Joy. That's not just an outward thing. It's a deep, inner peace that God gives. So Paul says, you know what? Others know. Others know about what happened here. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they were joyful believers. 
And besides being joyful believers, they were witnessing believers. Look at verse 8. Paul says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only in, in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. The word sounded forth is really an interesting word. It's the Greek word ex echo, from which we get our English word echo. What's an echo? If you yell into a, what, a cave or something like that, it'll bounce back to you. What you say is echoed, right? So what is Paul saying here? The believers in Thessalonica echoed the message that Paul had proclaimed to them. What he shared with the Thessalonians was sounded forth abroad, Macedonia, Achaia, and beyond. It's kind of like a an FM translator station, you know what that is? Ever listen on the radio and it'll say, uh, you know, 100 points so and so FM, and then it'll say, with translators in, you know, and then it'll give the FM stations elsewhere. You know what a translator station is? They'll take the main signal from the home base, and then they'll send it out to these translator stations, and then they send it out from there. So Paul proclaimed the Word of God in Thessalonica, and it was echoed abroad. They were like translator stations. What they had received from Paul, they made known abroad. And if you're wondering how effective they were, Paul says, we have no need to say anything. In other words, Paul didn't have to tell others what had happened in Thessalonica when he was there. Word had spread abroad. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the same thing would be said about Great Street Lutheran Church? That the message is sounding forth from this congregation that wherever we go, the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed, echoed, sounding forth. Others obviously knew what had happened to these people. And it wasn't just a verbal witness. It wasn't just a sounding forth. But there was a a, a marvelous, wonderful, dramatic change in their lives. Verse 9 says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They turned to God away from idolatry. And that was so obvious to the people there that God had done something significant in that city. Those around them couldn't help but see the difference. Do people know that you love Jesus? 
Is it obvious to them that there is a living relationship between you and Jesus? Someone said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's quite a question to think about, isn't it? If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would they be able to present, here's, here's exhibit A, here's exhibit B, here's exhibit C, here's the evidence of God's work in your life? It happened in Thessalonica. Paul saw it. The Thessalonians knew it. And all those around them could see very clearly what God had done. And that is the reason why Paul gives thanks. Because this was God's work, right? We give thanks to God, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So the glory goes to God, every bit of it. Paul isn't saying, we, we, he isn't saying, we thank you for how, what wonderful people you are. We thank God for what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done in your city. We know it. You know it. Others know it as well. We have reason to praise God, don't we? If you're saved today, it's because of God's gracious work in your life. He chose you. And you said, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Salvation is the work of God. And the praise and the glory belongs to Him. And that's why Paul says, we thank the Lord for what God did for you. I thank God for what God has done for you. To save so many of you here this morning. To transform you, to change you, so that... I know and you know and others can see what God has done. But maybe you're one of those that really doesn't know Jesus today. You can't say, I know in whom I believe. I know that I have eternal life. Jesus wants you to know that you have eternal life. And it is not based on any good work you have done, but based on the good work that he has done. He died and rose again to offer you forgiveness and eternal life. Trust in Him today. Receive that message, that good news of salvation that you might know that you have present possession, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. Thank you for the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you save us not because of righteous deeds which we have done, but according to your great mercy. O Father, do that work in our midst this morning. Draw us to yourself, O God. And may you receive all the praise and glory and honor and what you accomplish in our hearts here this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.